Good morning. I want to welcome you to First Baptist Church. Uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time, I want to welcome you here. If you're watching online uh, for the first time, we want to welcome you to First Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in today. What a privilege it is uh, to be able to come into God's house and to worship him freely and to live in a country where we can worship him as we please, as he has requested us to do, not to forsake uh, the assembling of ourselves together. So uh, I want to share a, a scripture with you as we begin this morning and kind of set our hearts and minds toward where we're going to be in our text uh, today. It's, it's uh, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 24. Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. And therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy that you extend to all peoples everywhere. For sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world to be a perfect example for us of what it means to run with a whole heart to accomplish the task laid before him who set his face toward Jerusalem at the appropriate time that he might go and carry his cross to Calvary to take up his cross and carry it to Calvary where he gave his life as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind that if any person anywhere uh, regardless of the life they've lived would repent of their sin and put their faith in him alone that he would save them. For the Lord Jesus is our example. And Father, I pray this morning as we come and worship you that we'll be thinking about the race that we're running. Are we running the kind of race that you would have us to run? Are we running to win? And what is the goal we're running for? Father, I pray that you will receive our worship as we come before you humbly, uh, that it will be acceptable to you as we worship you with the spirit and in truth. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us. Just the only one who could ever say. 
glad that you're here this morning. Please welcome your brothers and sisters. Have a couple of announcements really quick and then we'll make go on to sing okay we have a couple of announcements and then we're going to sing you guys uh, don't forget the chili cook-off over there even if you didn't I mean, you don't have to plan. It's already there. It's ready to go. So please come and support our youth. They're over there working hard. And uh, then the rest of the announcements are in the bulletin. Make sure you see all those wonderful Bible studies and everything that we have. Okay, let's stand and sing Who You Say I Am. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in, oh, his love. Sure. 
day. Thank you for this family that I'm blessed to be part of. Lord, just go with each of us this week and let them speak your name. In your name, amen. Me rise again. Who am I? 
Children's Church is happening now. Miss Lisa and Miss Sissy are heading that way. Well, one announcement I want to make uh, that didn't get made while ago is that we will have a business meeting next Sunday after the service. Uh, we still need to vote on our budget for the year, our uh, committee on committee list, and also we need to have our last quarterly meeting as last year was wrapped up. So we've been waiting on the bookkeeper uh, for that, but that'll all be done next week. And you'll re also receive another message of that this week as a reminder. Well, in our last message, we saw how Paul took account of his life. As he was on that road to Damascus, he had in his mind uh, that he was helping God out, that he was, he was in service to God and he was doing good. That is, until he saw that bright light from heaven. And Jesus spoke to him out of that great light and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it was then that, that Paul realized that all of his efforts had been uh, misguided and that he needed to make a change in his life. And so, therefore, he resolved in his life to follow Jesus uh, with a whole heart he resolved to know Christ 
to know his power, to know his sufferings, so that ultimately he could be like Jesus. And friend, that is really the goal of the Christian life, is to be so transformed uh, in your life that you begin to walk and talk and act more like Jesus. Uh, that is the goal that each of us strive toward. And now in our text, Paul is going to call to mind an athlete. An athlete running a race, and he's running the race in such a way, uh, and he's so determined uh, that he is going to win the prize in that race. And so that's the metaphor that he's using. But in order for a Christian to run successfully, they must continually be growing in Christ all along the way. The more mature we become, the more we will walk and talk and act like Jesus. And it is a lofty goal. And as with any goal, if you are going to achieve the goal, you have to have a plan in your life. There has to be a plan and action plans along the way if you're going to achieve uh, the goal. Now, you can make your own plans, and sometimes people do. Uh, sometimes parents will have a plan in mind for their children. Uh, Daddy owned the business. He's been making chairs for 45 years. And, and, and Johnny and, and Jim, they're going to make chairs too when they get older. And sometimes parents will make plans for their kids. But friends, it's God's plan for you uh, that matters most. If you're going to achieve something greater, something beyond yourself, God's plan is the only one that matters. Christian writer Gordon McDonald speaking at a Promise Keepers crusade. You remember those? They, they were so wonderful. I had the opportunity to attend some of those. He talks uh, in that uh, event, he talked about running in prep school and working with a coach that had a goal in mind. And I want to share part of his story right here. He says, when I first ran track in prep school, my coach invited me to his home for dinner one night. And after the meal, he pulled out a notebook displaying my name on the front cover. He immediately turned to the back page, which bore the heading June 1957, three and a half years away. Gordon, he said, these are the races I'm going to schedule you to run almost four years from now. And here are the times you will achieve. I looked at those times and I said, impossible, impossible. They were light years away from where I was at the moment as a runner. And then coach began showing me the 42 months he had scheduled for workouts. Coaches and leaders of all kinds, he says, understand the absolute necessity of strategic long-range planning. Similarly, a wise and all-knowing God has a plan for our total lives. Gradually, inevitably, down through the years, we become more like Jesus got to have a plan it's got to be God's plan and you got to pursue it so once again to become like Jesus is the goal and believe it or not God has a plan for you to achieve it he has a plan in mind why 
Why does God have a plan for you? Why does he have uh, these, these things that you're going to achieve along the way? Here's the reason why. Because he wants you to be used by him to do something that you were designed to do. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that the one who spoke this world into existence, uh, we're not sure even how long ago it happened, okay? The one that formed you in your mother's womb has a plan for your life. That amazes me, that he could be so involved in every person's life in that way. He wants you to achieve your goals. He wants you to be usable in his hand. And that's why it's so important for you and I to continue to grow, uh, to be like him along the way, learning and applying the word of God. So with these things in mind, what does Paul say about reaching maturity? If you have your Bible open to Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 7 with an eye toward verse 12. And we're going to help, help us get the context by starting a little earlier and knowing what Paul has already said as we head into our main text. Paul says, but what things were gained to me, these I, count, I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now in verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, and therefore let as many as are mature have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. You know, this is not the first time in this letter that he has said, let's be of the same mind. Unity, unity in the body of Christ is so important as we grow together. So as we consider our text, we see that Paul taught the Philippians to let go of the past, to be growing in the present, and to be looking forward and running forward toward the prize of the call in Christ Jesus. I was reading a book by Warren Wiersbe called Be Joyful, and he's thinking about this text, and he uses five words uh, in his book to describe a Christian who is maturing in Christ, growing in Christ on a continual basis. And so what I want us to do this morning, we're going to take a, a brief look at two of those words as we think about what it means to mature in Christ. And that first word is the word dissatisfied. Dissatisfied. 
the growing Christian is dissatisfied with running a mediocre race. Now remember, as Paul is writing to the believers of Philippi, that he's in prison at Rome. The evil emperor Nero is on the throne. And I don't know how much you know about Nero. You may have heard some things about him, but he was one evil dude. It is said that he used to have Christians impaled on poles, tarred and lit up to provide light. I'm telling you, this guy was bad news. He's on the throne. Paul is in prison. And Paul is near the end of his own race. And Paul senses uh, that the end is probably pretty close. Of course, he can have no idea for sure. But earlier in the, in the letter, he has already said that I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice. And so we know that, that he knows that the time is coming. Paul had done many good things as a Christian servant. He had many success stories. I mean, because of Paul's witness to the Gentiles, uh, many thousands had been saved, and many more thousands would be saved. Uh, churches were planted. Lives were changed for the better. If all of us could be like the Apostle Paul in our Christian walk, we could say that we'd done well. Yet notice what he says about his own race. He said, I have not arrived. See it there? See it there in the text? At least two times. He says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. And then in verse 13, he says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. That word that he uses in some uh, various translations will say, uh, I, have, I, am not, I realize that I'm not already perfect or I'm not perfected or not been perfect, okay? And that word from the Greek, uh, it means to bring to an end or to accomplish. He's saying, I've not accomplished perfection in my life. Even after all this time, Paul is still not completely content. There's still some things in his life he's dissatisfied with. I think that's a good place to be. When you set your eyes on Jesus Christ and you recognize who he is, I think it was Colt uh, McCoy that wrote, uh, I think it was a book called I Am Second. I like that. He recognized who God is. Or Louis Giglio who says, he is I am and I am not. That's who we're setting our, ourselves against as far as our standard. I've not accomplished perfection. He realized even after all of this success, that there was still room for improvement. Now, what does that mean practically for you and for me? It means unless our Christian walk far exceeds the walk of the Apostle Paul, then we too have room for improvement. Now, believe it or not, there are some people in Christian life those who come from a health, wealth, and prosperity background who talk as though uh, as though they have achieved this high level of perfection. 
And what is their criteria for this? They're healthy and wealthy. Just as God would have it for every person, or so they say. One prominent preacher from this group preaches freedom from sickness and poverty. If you can get yourself into the favor of God, you won't have any of that. You won't have any of that sickness and unhealthiness, and you won't be in poverty. You'll be wealthy. This is one of the things that he said. The world's shortages have no effect on someone who has already gone to heaven. Therefore, they should have no effect on us who have made Jesus Lord of our lives. It's the kind of ministry that justifies having several multi-million dollar Gulfstream jets while many people in the world wonder where their next meal is coming from. Others fill up stadium-sized worship centers with a message of positivity. And you've got to figure out how to get yourself in God's favor so that you too can be like me. Well, I hate to inform all of those individuals, but none of them have arrived. Not according to the Word of God, anyway. The idea that a Christian can be so completely perfect that they can kick back and take it easy is not what Paul has in mind. As a matter of fact, it's not what God has in mind for you or for me. If Paul had measured his Christian growth by his health or his wealth, you know what he would have said? He would have said, don't follow my lead. Don't follow my lead. I've been beaten to death several times, almost to death. Uh, I've been beaten with Roman rods three times. I've been beaten with 39 lashes and scourgings because one more lash probably would have killed him. That's why they didn't give him 40 lashes. He said, I've been beaten that way five times. I've been stoned. I've been run out of town. Health-wise, he was pretty tore up. And according to Paul, he still had a thorn in his flesh. I don't know if I'd call him the healthiest guy physically. And he certainly wasn't the wealthiest guy either. He says, I know what it's like to have been hungry. I've been shipwrecked in at sea for over a day and night before. I know what it is to be hungry. As a matter of fact, one of the things he commended the Philippian uh, church for was their support. Because he was dependent on Christians giving to the ministry for him to be able to do what he did. And he was so thankful that these believers at Philippi had not withheld the contribution, that they had not robbed God of what was his. You see, everything that we own here, everything that we say that is ours, the home you live in, the car you drive, all of the finances that you have, the shirt on your back, the coat on your back, it's all his. And it was his idea for us to contribute 10% of everything that he gives us back as a starting point for giving. And that doesn't include all of the offerings uh, that we, out of a heart of generosity and leadership from him, choose to give. Without that support, Paul wouldn't have been able to do what he was doing. You see, worldly contentment usually leads to complacency. And that does not serve you very well in the Christian walk. Worldly contentment will distract you from the mission 
while being dissatisfied with where you are as a believer will keep you running toward the prize. You'll say, I've not achieved it. I've not arrived. I'm still running toward the prize to fulfill my calling, to be like Christ. Now, I don't mean to pour salt on an open wound, but if the cowboys had been more dissatisfied with their level of play <laughs> during the regular season, then they might have experienced a great victory when they came up against a team with lesser talents. Sorry, it had to be said. But you know, one of the things I've noticed about those who achieve great things, even by the world standards today, is that once they achieve something great, uh, they often say, now what? I'm just not content anymore. I've won everything that can be won in this category. You know, I'm the greatest whatever, but I'm not content. And they're dissatisfied. Or they could have all the money that the world, more money than they could ever spend, and they're just totally miserable and discontent. And the reason why is they're missing the most valuable thing that they could ever have, Jesus. They're missing him. And he is the reason why we were created to begin with. We were created to worship him and to have a relationship with him. And without that, nothing else matters. None of it. So what is the key to success with godly contentment? Well, it's tied to single-mindedness, which leads us to our next word. You see, the Christian is dissatisfied with a mediocre walk, but a growing Christian is devoted single-mindedly to the Lord. Verse 13, look at that. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. What is that one thing? To be like Jesus. That's it. And some things have to happen to be like Jesus. There's some things that have to be left behind. There's some things that need to be going on in your life. And there's some, some things you need to be uh, looking forward to, which is what he tells us. But his focus is on Jesus. And because his focus is on Jesus, he cares about what Jesus cares about. And what does Jesus care about? People. So we too must be singular in our devotion to God. Find out what God has gifted you to do and do it with all your heart. Uh, if you're a farmer, be the best farmer you can be. If you're an electrician or a plumber, be the very best that you can be. Uh, if you're a doctor, be the best one you can be. If you're a homemaker, be the very best one you can be. Whatever your calling in life is, Put all your heart and soul into it and be a Christian witness in that thing that God has called you to do. For he has called you. And that trade uh, that he has called you to will take you into places where you will rub elbows with people that nobody else will. And if they're going to hear the message about Jesus Christ, it's going to be because you told them. Or because they looked at your life and they saw an example of someone who is like Jesus. And they say to themselves, I don't know what's different about him. I, I don't know what it is that's different about her, but I can tell you one thing. They ain't like anything I've ever seen before. I wonder what it is. 
that's different. Find out what it is and do it. Use your gifts for his glory. You see, think, sometimes I think we try to do too many things. And when we try to do too many things, we get distracted so easy. It reminds me of the famous evangelist D.L. Moody. And at one time in his life and ministry, D.L. Moody was doing too many things. He was involved in this great Sunday school effort, this Bible study effort on Sunday mornings. But he was also in, uh, uh, instrumental in, in working in the YMCA. He was doing that too. And then he had lots of other endeavors, and evangelism was one of them. And then, in 1871, he made a decision to do one thing, evangelism. And as a result of him being devoted to do that one thing that God had gifted him to do so well, thousands and thousands came to know Jesus as their Savior. Single-minded devotion to what God had called him to Paul was not satisfied to be stagnating in his Christian growth. He was not satisfied with a mediocre race, for he was singularly devoted to God. And similarly, Paul was concerned that members of the church not run a half-hearted race either. I wonder today, what kind of race are you running in your life? And what is the prize you're running to attain? Is it something that's going to be lasting? Or is it something that's going to pass away? Are the things that you're achieving in your life for, for the Lord Jesus uh, of eternal value? Or are they of temporary value? Well, as we think about running this race, there are several self-inflicted hurdles you need to avoid stumbling over if you're going to be successful in your race. You ever seen uh, that high hurdle race? I've always been amazed at how they're able to jump over those high hurdles and keep going. It just amazes me. I think I just fall down on the first one, even if there's low hurdles. But there's some hurdles that pop up in our lives, and, and I, I think in many ways some of them are self-inflicted ones. I think a misunderstanding of perfection and imperfection are two of the hurdles. And then I think two more are the tendency to be passive or impassive in our outlook on life. Let me talk to you for just a moment about what I mean by that. I think sometimes we build a standard in our life of what is good enough, and that becomes our level of perfection. And once I achieve, well, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I compared myself to everybody else around me, and I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good girl. And so, therefore, I can just kind of kick back and coast a little bit because I'm pretty good. That's a certain level of perfection, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And then also another hurdle can be imperfection. And that imperfection person says, well, you know, I'm so flawed and messed up that there's no need for, for me to even try. You know, if I was to walk through the door of a church, uh, uh, the ceiling, it's, the whole thing would catch on fire because I'm such a bad person. Or a Christian might say, you know, I've tried to read the Bible before and I just don't really understand it very, very much, so I'm just not even going to try no more. That's imperfection. That's a hurdle. And sometimes we let it trip us up. And then, of course, there's that passive hurdle. And that can look different ways depending on where you are in your life. Sometimes younger persons, young, younger couples, 
uh, those with kids. Uh, they look at their life and everything that's going on, and they're so busy doing so many different things. They say, I'm just too busy. And in that way, they're sort of passive about their Christian walk. And they don't make it a priority. Okay. And then sometimes for some who, someone who's older would say, you know, I've really worked hard all my, my life. I've done everything that I can for Christ. I can't do anything more, and so I'm just going to check out. That's passive. Oh, but what about this impassivity? Well, that's just sort of an apathetic, who cares sort of an attitude. It'll all work out in the wash. It doesn't really matter too much what I do. It's sort of an uncaring and passive thing. So all of those things are short-circuiters for you being able to run your race. So, so don't fall on those hurdles. We will not see any of that thing in the life of the Apostle Paul. He already has says, I have not attained uh, perfection, but I'm running toward it. He doesn't look at all his failures and say, I'll never make it. He's not passive. He's not impassive. He really cares. And he's in jail of all things. But he's moving forward. He says, I'm keeping my eye on the prize. I'm running toward it. Well, Paul, you're in jail. Yeah, but I'm still running. I'm still sharing with anybody that'll listen. Uh, I'm a witness to all of Caesar's household. Uh, they know who I am. They know who I stand for. I mean, he's a fiery guy even in jail. He just plows ahead for Jesus. You know, one thing I know is that hardships and setbacks are going to come in your life. And they're going to come in my life. And how we deal with them will make all the difference. It reminds me of a marathon race that took place in Boston. One year after the bombings in Boston. But in this race, the winner of the race was as passionate and on fire as any that you would ever find. It took place April 19, 2014. There were 36,000 runners that hit the street, all striving toward the prize. The 118th Boston Marathon. Though the past year's race was marked by bombs, three deaths, and many people wounded or injured, the winner of this race would cause great emotion because of the way he ran and who it was, inspiring passion. You see, for the first time since 1983, an American won that race. That wasn't the most amazing thing. The most amazing thing was that he was the oldest person to ever win the race at 83 years old. Now, friends, that's saying something. Amazing. One writer said, with the names of victims killed in the previous year's uh, violent attack written on the corner of his runner's bib, Meb Kevlazigi crossed the finish in first place. And as he crossed the line, people in the crowd were cheering enchanting usa he lifted up his hands upward with joy and triumph he says it was it's hard to watch the highlights without being moved to tears by such a dramatic scene can you see the scene there and imagine all of those in the crowd cheering for him it kind of reminds me of the writer of hebrews who talks about all of us being surrounded 
by so great a cloud of witnesses who've gone before. He says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, if that doesn't get you excited about running your race, you're probably never going to get excited about it. Friend, you have a trailblazer in Jesus Christ who ran the race, and he accomplished that for which he came, your salvation and mine. And as many as will receive him, today still as you think about your world today and you think about all the people in our world and you think about all the people in godly texas who have never trusted jesus as their savior friends there's a reason for us to be running right and we ought to get fired up about it the last time i checked nobody here's in prison that's good isn't it yeah nothing keeping you from going and talking to jesus about something and if you do find yourself in prison, there's cellmates in there because Texas prisons are overcrowded. At least that's what they tell us. So that's what we ought to be praying for. We ought to be praying for that kind of fire to fall on us. It's not something you can manufacture. It's not something you're just going to become passionate about on your own. Okay? It's something God's got to do. So why don't we make that our prayer in the coming days, that God would pour out his spirit upon us in a way that we haven't seen in this nation in years. And let it begin right here. It doesn't have to begin in some big mega church somewhere. Jesus set the world on fire with 12 guys that were following him around. And I count more than 12 in the room right here. I wonder what God would do if we would get dissatisfied with our walk and be devoted father i thank you for your word for your love your grace your mercy and father i pray lord that your plan will continue to be worked out in all of our lives and lord that we will become vessels that are usable in your hand even in spite of all of our flaws and hang-ups and problems help us not get distracted from what's really important help us not to be satisfied with mediocrity but that we'll set our mind on you and it'll come from you and you'll be the one that draws us to you Father we lift this up to you in Jesus name today Amen what's God saying to you would you stand to your feet for a moment we're going to have a brief invitation we always want to have opportunity for someone to respond to the gospel message to the fact that Jesus died for you and that if you'll come to him, he'll forgive you for your sins. And he'll save you. And he'll make your life new and different. What's God saying to you today? Just Debbie, will you lead us?
morning. There's something that smells good, she says. <laughs> and it's all that chili over there in the building next to us. Everybody's invited. You didn't have to make anything. Uh, so we're going to have a little chili cook-off over here. So y'all come, okay? Uh, doesn't matter if you plan to do it or not. Just, just come. We're going to have a wonderful time of fellowship together. Would you lead us in our closing song? We have an old tradition here that COVID killed, but we're not going to let COVID get us anymore. Let's join hands across the aisles. Great week.